Welcome back to Books and Bobo, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Ri Rayu. And we are here today to talk about our July 2019 book club pick, Zero Sum Game by S.L. Huang. As always, here is your spoiler warning on the top. Uh, we're going to be talking all about this book. So if you haven't read it yet and don't want things to get spoiled for you, um, go read the book right now and come back and listen to us um, afterward. But yeah, um, Rira, how has your summer been so far? It's it's disgusting. It's getting pretty. I, Do you feel like it's not, more humid this year? In LA? Yeah, it really is. And it makes me so mad because I did not move out of Georgia for this nonsense. <laughs> like it felt it felt like New York as well because New York gets like really humid. Yeah, I was and, just in New York and it, it's worse than here for sure. But yeah. I was expecting to come back to like our usual like dry summer. Oven, right. Yeah. But it's been kind of muggy and. And gross. I'm not. We're not yeah. built for that. No, we're yeah. not. <laughs> when it's muggy, there's mosquitoes, and I don't like them. They suck. Oh my god! Speaking of bugs, um, like our apartment right outside our uh, right outside our door, we had like a beehive. Oh no! Or I guess like a bee hole where like a lot of bees were like coming in and out, mm. and it just like happened randomly one day. We're like, where did all these bees come from? So like, we had to right like, outside your apartment. Yeah, like right outside our apartment, and I didn't notice. I just like walked straight past the swarm because really? i was on my phone whereas like dan walked around the other side of the building <laughs> and he was like did you did you not see the swarm of bees that were like oh. right outside our apartment and i was like oh yeah we need to call someone for that <laughs> and i guess like our like our landlord she she was just like oh it can't be that serious but then when she called like the bee person he like checked and he was like, oh no, I need a bee suit for this. So oh, wow. it, was, it was pretty serious and we couldn't leave our apartment for like yeah. three hours. You, you live there now forever. You, Outside is their domain. Right. I'm intruding on their home. To you be, need to, to like just call on Uber Eats from now on to get any food delivered I don't, or I, Amazon I, Fresh. I, or... Yeah. Well, they're gone now. So thank <laughs> God. That's good. Like how does bee removal work? Uh, so like the the bee guy, he sprayed something that smelled so bad, like it smells so bad to like humans as well. Um, but um, it's supposed to like make the bees kind of go crazy and be like, this is not a good place to live. So they right. kind of move out. So yeah, it doesn't kill them or anything. Okay, they just... so they just move the queen somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well. Well, that was my summer so far. <laughs> it's been quite exciting. Yeah, my summer's been pretty low-key. Um, I went to New York for a wedding that didn't happen. Nothing, like, scandalous. It's just... um. You went to New York like Family a couple, happened. like two weeks after I came back from New York. That's true. Yeah, I so bet it was really... Places. Yeah, but it was, it was super muggy. And it was like, it's summer, like rainstorm season, you know, where it's like, it rains for 10 minutes every 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, so I was reminded of my time back in the East Coast when I used to live in DC and like, oh yeah, I should really check the weather before I exit the house. Because when I was living in DC, I got caught in 
rainstorms like all the time. Yeah, yeah, same here with yeah. like New York. <laughs> like I never went anywhere without an umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. That's something. Whereas here, like people don't check the weather ever, yeah. and and people get so surprised when it rains, and they drive so slowly, which is which is a thing that is mentioned in this book because oh, yeah. this book uh, takes place in L.A. And if you live in L.A., you'll get all of the uh, like you'll understand like the neighborhoods and kind of like the subcultures, and it's it and it was kind of like fun being in the know how. I will say, as easy as it is to talk shit about LA traffic and drivers, have you driven anywhere else in the world? Like, people are worse drivers everywhere else. At That's least- not true. That's <laughs> not true. I drove in Atlanta, uh-huh. and it is way better than here in LA. <laughs> like, way better. Mm. Our traffic is is almost just as bad, but it's like the drivers are much nicer. Are they? Yeah. Hmm. See. Uh, I drove around D.C. and that traffic is worse and the drivers are worse. Oh, well, I've never had the fortune or I guess <laughs> misfortune of driving there. Have you seen the movie Baby Driver? I have not, actually. It, it takes place in Atlanta. Mm. And it's like, oh, I know those streets. Yeah. And <laughs> it's another it's it's another movie slash, um, I guess, piece of media where like fast drivers are fighting against traffic in like a very big city. So mm. anyway, we're going to jump right in yeah. to our... Um, we're going to talk about our, 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 our July book club pick. All right. And here is the summary. As always, Cass Russell is good at math. Scary good. The vector calculus blazing through her head lets her smash through armed men twice her size and dodge every bullet in a gunfight. And she'll take any job for the right price. As far as Cass knows, she's the only person around with a superpower until she discovers someone with a power even more dangerous than her own. Someone who can reach directly into people's minds and twist their brains into Mobius strips. Someone intent on becoming the world's puppet master. Cass should run like she usually does, but for once she's involved. There's only one problem. She doesn't know which of her thoughts are her own anymore. Okay, I'm going to start off this talk with our relationship with math. (laughs) Like, were were you... were you a good Asian and knew your math growing up? I took multivariable differential calculus in college. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> That's about as far as I went um, um, because that was the requirement for it. So when I was in college, I went to college uh, at UC San Diego. And my um, major was uh, it was called management science. It's basically economics based on like the micro side, so firm side stuff. Um, but it was a BS degree. So because it was a BS degree, and that's Bachelor of Science, not bullshit, not, not bullshit. but also bullshit, um, we had to take engineering-level calculus as our general oh requirement God. instead of regular calculus. So that's how I learned about, you know, three-dimensional shapes and how to find volume. So did you understand, <laughs> like, a lot of the math terms that showed up in this book? So I understood in the way that, like, I understood how the relationship math has to, like, physics and stuff like yeah mm-hmm. this is how parkour people do the things they do because they know how to transfer energy and it's like um did you watch Sherlock Holmes the Guy Ritchie version the, the Guy one, Ritchie version no the I one haven't. with um, Robert Downey Jr. that was Guy Ritchie right I don't know but I saw I saw the one um with Robert Downey Jr. yeah could have sworn that's Guy Ritchie I might be wrong but it's like what if that boxing scene in the beginning but the whole movie. Oh my god, that's exactly what I was thinking <laughs> when I was reading the book. I was like, man, this is like Sherlock Holmes. Like you do all the calculations and then you execute it. Yeah. And everything is like 
like since your brain is like figuring out all the ways that you can beat this person, right? Like everything slows down, and I thought that was like really cool. And I thought if this book was made into a movie, it would do that like, like one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So that that was like really interesting because like I had like a movie reference for it, right? Yeah.、Um, but what is your my relationship re- with math? I hate it so much. <laughs> <laughs> like I hate it so much.、Um, I feel like I was really. More math oriented until、uh, maybe like high school,、mm. um, because like in high school, like they introduce like pre calculus and like <laughs> that did not go over very well.、Um, that was around the time when my English teachers were telling me that I was a really bad writer and、um. I was really bad at reading comprehension, and that if I continued this way, I would never get into college. So I.、Uh, Started like practicing writing and reading. Started reading a lot of books. I was a big reader when I was younger, but like I started reading like much more difficult books out,、uh-huh. outside of outside of genre books. So、um, I went from like a math oriented person to like definitely like more language based.、Mm. So that was an interesting、uh, transition for me. But I haven't taken math since maybe like. Junior year of high school, right? I went to film school, and like no math was required. <laughs> not even for like basic graduation no. requirements. Or no,、anything? math was not required、wow. for basic.、Um, science was, but I took like a children's literature class, and that counted as like psychology. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't have to, I didn't have to take any science or math. I took a lot of history classes.、Mm. I could have double minored. Um, I, I have a minor in producing, but like I could have double minored、uh, with producing and Renaissance art history, right? Because I took so many class, so <laughs> many classics classes, it, it was like crazy. But、yeah. I have a very、um, minimal <laughs> relationship <laughs> with math. I try to avoid it as much as possible. So a lot of the math terms in this book just kind of flew over my head. I mean, but it's great that. The author or whoever did the marketing of the book、uh, explains that the, the math power as a superpower because that gives you the frame of reference on how to approach、um, the main character Cass Russell's math skills. It's like, yeah, I, I think it acts as a great shorthand for like, yeah, of course you can do stuff math, which is the way that she describes it too. And towards the end of the book, they seem to、um, allude that it's not as simple as that. Like the math powers come from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like、yeah. it's you know because that was something while I was reading the book I was thinking yeah sure she's great at math but normal people don't compute this fast so I was trying to figure out is she like a character on the spectrum maybe like is there a reason her brain is wired that way or is it like something else and it seems to be something else yeah, like yeah. yeah I mean it would be I mean this book is. Like technically, like urban fantasy or paranormal fantasy, because obviously you have <laughs> elements that are like not possible in in real life, and it, it's just like even if you could compute that fast, your body normally can't follow、yeah. those calculations that quickly. So,、um, like I just kind of figured that she had some kind of weird superpower to begin with, and、right. yeah, when once you get to the end and kind of like a little. Bit of her origin story is kind of like、um, being revealed. I was like, okay, well, I-, I guess that will be the thing that shows up in the <laughs> second book because this is a series of、uh, four books. Yeah, the series was actually self-published, 
before it got picked up by Tor Books, and they republished it oh, wow. after after it was like edited and polished a little bit. Okay. So uh, Zero Sum Game actually was republished last year in October 2018. So all the, the entire series is already out. I, no, it's oh, not already oh. out. The second book. Um, let me pull up what the second book. So the second book is Null Set, and that mm-hmm. was released last month under Tor Books. Wow. So they are releasing it in kind of like a traditional publishing basis, like a book every year and a half. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really, really rare for a self-published book to be picked up by traditional publishing. It's something that almost never happens. So it kind of shows like how much appeal there was for to um to pick up this book yeah and uh actually like uh i i mentioned this when we first announced this book as our book club pick mm-hmm. but uh sl huang she is freaking amazing like she well, sounds like the coolest person i have ever like heard about in well, terms of authors <laughs> well i mean we talked about our like our collegiate background but if we were in a straight-up competition of best asian she would win yeah yeah like <laughs> right? like Okay, so uh, S.L. Huang, she has a math degree from MIT, which is like, whoa, (laughs) that is like the most amount of math. Um, And uh, she's actually a professional stunt woman and um, and, an arms expert. Yeah, that was something when I was reading the book, I was like, man. Man, there's a lot of weapons here. This book really loves guns. Yeah. And like, I have... Like, I was able to pick up on the names only because of my extensive video game experience, specifically the Resident Evil games, which also has a surprisingly affinity for, like, specific guns. It would make sense, Resident <laughs> Evil. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's one of those um, one of those gun games. Um, I'm not a guns fan, and <laughs> I really don't like to play games where weapons are, like, super specific, because to me, they're all the same (laughs) so like that was another thing that just kind of like kind of went over my head like the math terms and like the the totally like different types of guns her preference for not glocks yeah and i was like i don't i don't know what that means but like i get it like she is very um Cass is very specific about her weapons and i guess like that kind of played into the humor of things so yeah, but this book was very, very, very different from the past books that we have read for Books and Boba. It was, it was almost like we were reading a blockbuster action, it like did action feel that screenplay. Way. Yeah. Like it really, like I don't know. There was so much action, and I don't think I've ever read that much action in a book before. Well, I mean, the last book that we read that was similar to this was IQ. Which similarly had like set piece scenes, but just not as much. I feel like this one like started it off right from the bat. Yeah, right. It, it definitely did like the traditional like screenplay <laughs> opening scene where like you're in the middle of like a great battle or some kind of like. Oh, I know like, this term in, in media res. Yes, yes. <laughs> so um, I really like the way the book started. Like start with a bang. Um, and it kind of like showed like it kind of showed me like what type of book this was going to be. I was like, OK, there is a lot of action. There's a lot of speed. But is there going to be a lot of mystery? So I wasn't really quite sure if this was going to become like a detective 
procedural halfway right. through, or because because you were introduced to a PI Arthur uh, trusting, right? And I was like, hmm, is is this is this going to turn into a procedural? But no, it was like all action throughout. Um, I I said this before we started recording. Um, the book really reminded me of Jessica Jones, mm. or at least like the limited number of episodes that I've watched <laughs> of Jessica Jones, uh, where you have like a very like anti-social, uh, really aggressive, impulsive female character who kind of like is outside the norm of typical heroines. Right. And just kind of like being in like half noir and half like superhero <laughs> action movie. Right. It, it was like it was like a weird blend, but I was I was kind of into it. Right. And it wasn't a cat and mouse type of story. It's not like a the chase is a foot type of story. It was like different people with different agendas like kind of coming to a head, right? And like it definitely felt more like uh <laughs> to use like the Marvel movie analogy, like the Winter Soldier. Right. I've never watched it. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean it, it felt more like it felt like um did you watch the Bourne movies? Um, like maybe like two. So mm. my I have limited knowledge of the series. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm being so unhelpful <laughs> with my pop culture knowledge. It's um it definitely felt more like a spy thriller um than than like a traditional detective story. Yeah. What did you think when um I guess like the first hint that it was going to be paranormal slash superhero cuz you you find out when when like the main villain uh Donna Polk right yeah she's revealed to be some kind of like telepath and I was I like for me like because I went into the book cold I really need to stop doing that but like I <laughs> Um, I went into the book cold and I wasn't quite sure what the genre was going to be aside from like there is a mystery and there is going to be a lot of action. So I was really surprised when I got (laughs) to that part in the book. So I had read the description on Goodreads. So I had an idea that mind control had something to do with it. I wasn't sure what level it was going to be, if it's going to be full on like superpower telepathy or was it going to be some sort of like – because. I knew the the theme was like math person, right? So I wasn't mm. sure if it was going to be some sort of like couched in science or anything. And it still might be. I mean, we we don't know the the, the real um, nature of the uh, mind control powers. But I had already known that there was going to be something strange going on. Yeah, something outside the norm of, of like a thriller. I did start to catch on to the inconsistencies of Cass's character, um, during that first scene where she talks to Donna about um, giving her an update on on Courtney, the person that she went to go rescue, the fact that she was telling her where she was going, who she was seeing. And her being like very like emotionally invested. Yeah. Because I was like, wait, why did you turn really like, I don't know, like concerned about your client? It just seemed really <laughs> out of character. And I wasn't really sure in the beginning if that was just like a mistake Mm. But, you know, it's just really good setup, I think. I mean, the fact that she told her exactly where she was going to. And, like, that's when I, like, I already knew at that point that Donna was not on the level. I didn't realize she was the big bad. But that, like, she was the only person she told that that was where she was going. Yeah. Right. And then the ambush happens. So. I mean, my my guess right off the bat was like, oh, she's like the big bad because she's the <laughs> client and it's always the client. 
And I'm not saying that like it's super cliche, but it does tend to happen. And I think uh, Huang did a pretty good job of kind of making it unpredictable because you're like, okay, she's involved and she might be the big bad, but I don't really know what her agenda is. So it mm. kind of like strung you along as a reader. I mean, the unpredictability came from that point on when you realize that nobody can really be 100% trusted, mm-hmm. right? Except for probably real. But even then, not really. Yeah. Right? Um, Which is why, like, um, it kind of reminded me of Jessica Jones because David Tennant's character, he kind of has, like, that similar ability to influence people's minds. That's and true. make people think that they're doing the right thing. He can make them feel whatever he wants them to feel. So it really did give me that, like, um, like <laughs> the similarities definitely struck a chord with me. Right. But also, I don't know if you've seen Miss Sherlock. <laughs> Uh, it's it's like the female uh, Japanese version of Sherlock Holmes. It's on HBO, right? Yeah, yeah. on like uh, in like modern day settings, and the same exact power is it uh, is in that series as well. <laughs> you have spoiler warning, so you have um, Watson goes to a therapist, and the therapist turns out to be the big bad, mm-hmm. and she's like she she ends up being Moriarty, and she's able to kind of brainwash people very gradually to make them serve her purposes. And she does it in a way where she thinks that she is helping people for the greater good. Right. So, like, I was like, huh, another <laughs> another mystery slash thriller with mind control <laughs> involved. I was like, is there is there a theme with these types of stories? Probably because this book specifically covers... Um, the theme of moral moral gray areas. Yeah, like relative morality, right? Like Cuz you have a character um Rio who is a very violent psychopath, mm-hmm. but he's also religious and uh he's also cast as like best friend but not really a friend kind of weird <laughs> relationship and it's like you you know that he is essentially a bad person. He yeah. does. He enjoys torture, and he seems to have no qualms or emotions attached to that. Well, I don't think he enjoys it. Does he enjoy it? Yeah, he he is a sadist, hmm. but he only tortures and uh, kind of extracts yeah. information from bad people. He's like Dexter, right? But instead of like the code of his foster father, it's the code of christianity yeah which even like he or or Cass mentions that it's not because he is religious religious he just he needs a code and that's the code that he mm-hmm. chose for himself were there any characters where um you were kind of like okay i'm not really sure if i'm lined up with their moral code i mean this whole novel wants to ask the question like what is morality what is right this is funny because I'm um, I'm playing Fire Emblem Three Kingdoms right now on my Switch, and they're asking the same questions, which is, do the ends justify the means, right? If the end goal is a more peaceful world, does that justify the bloody path it takes to get there uh, and the bad things you have to do? Is it moral to sacrifice a few people to save millions, right? Yeah. And this is like a story that's been told- In various mediums. In various forms, especially in superhero fiction, right? Where- like especially in good superhero fiction, where the villain, the villain is the hero of their own story, 
And they're not evil for evil's sake. They're evil because they want to create a new world order. They see corruption and they go about it in morally bad ways. Mm -hmm. Stories that frame villainy in that light, I like a lot better than the straight up like good guy versus bad guy. Right, because yeah. the, it challenges you to think about worldviews and think about the corruptions that would lead a person to become that way, right? Because not everyone can be the Joker, not everyone can be chaos, right? Like what uh, Pithika, the the quote unquote bad guy organization in the story is, they're all about order, right? They're they're lawful, right? If you think about it in terms of, like in terms of you know RPG alignments, they're probably like lawful. Evil, yeah, not lawful. not lawful evil. They're they're lawful chaotic. I don't no. know. Hmm. I like I'm not a D and D person, so right. I don't really know all the quadrants. <laughs> lawful Sorry. evil would be if they're a bad guy um, using law for their own means, which is not them. They think they're doing good. They're probably lawful good. They believe in order. They believe in sacrifice. They believe in like they believe that what they're doing is right. In other words, they're egotistical, <laughs> egotistical maniacs. In 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 my perspective, um, and yeah, that's um the opposing side is all about free will, right? Yeah, um, the ability to make your own decisions, the ability to pursue your own means, and <laughs> I mean the 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 worldview of the bad guys, right? Of of Pithika is if you leave people to their own devices, they will create more suffering for others because everyone is selfish. Yes. Right. Yeah. It, it does kind of remind me of Death Note because you have you have a character who like thinks that he can make a new world order, like you said, mm-hmm. and he's coming from a perspective of there is so much corruption in the world and people are really selfish and you know, if I got rid of all the serial killers and all the rapists in the world, then the world would be a better place. And I am, um, as a person who is, um, I, I guess, like with Light in Death Note, he is an upstanding citizen. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he's like a genius. His dad is a police commissioner. So he's like, I am in, I am the one who can pull this off. And with L, who is on the opposite side, he he has the same argument: free will, and also, you are not, you are not God. You right. cannot make those calls. And uh, it's yeah, it's a story that's been told repeatedly in all media, but uh, vastly different because it yeah. is centered on character. And I think Huang did a good job establishing all of the characters and their moral codes and how uh, they kind of clash with each other. Right. Because even between Cass and Arthur, there are clashes in morality, right? I mean, I feel like I was saying there's an opposing view to whatever Pitika is doing, but there really isn't because I feel like the protagonists, they're more neutral than anything else, right? They don't, there's no right or wrong for them. They're just trying to survive, which in itself, I guess it's, the free will argument or the, the ability to self-determine. But um, like Cass isn't like, she's a good person, but not like a good person, you know, <laughs> not a good person in italics. Yeah. She is someone who, um, you know, who pulls the trigger before thinking. And, you know, she kind of is um, on the side of the ends justifies the means in a mm-hmm. much, much smaller scale. Cause she, she thinks, Oh, if I don't, shoot, then I will get hurt. Right. And um, if I don't 
tie up loose ends, they'll come after me. So right. So you can see, like Pythica's goal, like Donna's goal, is pretty much Cass's worldview expanded to cover. Which is why she's able to get into uh, Cass's head through mm. logical arguments. And I thought that was a really good scene with, um, I think it's like, what, like 250 pages in. You are at like the middle of the second act mm. where Donna and Cass are sitting across from each other. Right, she's been captured. Yeah, and Donna's like, ask me anything. And I was like, that's so weird because you don't really see... Like, this kind of, like, conversation between villain and protagonist. Right. Usually it's, it's the monologue. It's the, exposition, it's, the, it's the exposition dump where the villain explains yeah. their plan. And it's just, like, weird, like, oh, conversations over coffee, you know? It's like, <laughs> oh, ask me anything. And, like, kind of, like, the villain um, making very sound arguments and also just, like, being pretty chill about everything. Yeah. Like that was a that was a really interesting scene for me to read. Um, as someone who I don't know how I would categorize myself, like I'm lawful something, but <laughs> but like Cass and I did not really mesh well. Right. Um, You're more of an Arthur. Yeah, think? I really am, and I like kind of hate it. <laughs> um. Considering that, like, a lot of my friends are more like casts who are just like, yeah, like, whatever. Like, the, <laughs> it's like, we, we have to create a little bit of chaos to, to, you know, make good progress or whatever. Whereas with me, I was kind of like, with, I was kind of on the side of Arthur. So I was <laughs> like, why are you shooting all the time? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, why are you pulling the trigger before you're actually thinking about, the consequences because mm. she really does not seem to think that far ahead as someone who is like super good at mathematics and being able to dodge bullets well i mean that entire scene where she gets like caught at a supermarket oh my god i was like... <laughs> screaming i was i was just like mentally screaming at that scene where she where she's like okay i, I just have to stay on the down low until i can leave the city but she's like, oh, what if I get alcohol? And I'm like, dude, you're you're on like a wanted poster. Like you shot bullets at Griffith Park in <laughs> front of so many people. Like what makes you think that this is a good idea? And then she goes and she doesn't have her ID. And I'm like, how do you not like have the forethought to like do this? I mean, do you think that's like a contradiction in her character or is that like just i mean she does say herself in the story that she does not do well when she's not actively solving a problem or working on something and like these poor life decisions poor survival decisions seem totally like if you were truly all about self-preservation you wouldn't have made these decisions yeah they're right? very very self-destructive yeah and <laughs> I mean, I wonder if that's something that they'll explore in future books. Because obviously there is, like, something that I started to notice as we got closer to the book. I was like, oh, we're getting close to the book, and, and we're nowhere near any idea of who Cass is, you know? And, like, even her past, right? Because throughout the entire story, she never ever talks or thinks about who she was before the book, Right, how she became the way she is. And that seems intentional, 
based on where the story goes, but it really does like give you the sense that like she like this personality, this like this life that she lives, it's something that she constructed herself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, no no one person is consistent with their <laughs> their code. And um like that scene where she's about to get caught and uh checkers on the phone with her and he's like you need to turn yourself in i'll i'll get you out but like you need to that is your only option <laughs> and she's like screw you i have grenades and i was just like what makes you think that this is an this is an okay idea like checker is a hacker he's going to like break you out right but that's what makes Cass like a pretty good character because you she has all these trust issues and <laughs> creates so many problems and so much conflict and a lot of this book is about characters making really really bad decisions whether it's their own decisions or it's being influenced by uh, Pithika mm. and then them trying to like clean up after their mistakes right yeah um I did get a little bit frustrated though with me not knowing where her math power came from <laughs> because I knew that this was part of a series, but I kind of wish that like there was a conversation about that, like with trusting being like, okay, like you're super weird. You're like Spider-Man. <laughs> like you're able to like do all of these incredible calculations. And like, I, I thought there would be like a moment where he asks her like, how are you able to do this? When did you learn how to like train and stuff like that? I mean, you can tell that he's suspicious right um but he's also very trusting i i guess trusting because his name is trusting <laughs> who is your favorite character by the way because we had a great ensemble <laughs> cast i think i was super sad that they killed off the precocious girl right off the bat oh yeah a 12-year-old girl who is into hacking yeah. and guns. And like the gruff information broker who also pays his taxes because he believes in civil service. Yeah. I, I did enjoy that she was able to avenge them in the end. But in terms of like more, the more substantial characters in the story, um, I think I... Maybe it's just because he's pro, she's the protagonist and you spend the most time with her, but I did like Cass as a character. She was a great anti-hero. I love that... Um, like the story in itself is full of like diverse characters, right? You have uh, pe people of color, you have um, female protagonists, you have disabled characters, but it doesn't like, I actually didn't think about this till the very end, but there was no romance storyline. And I really, really like, yeah, I really thought that was refreshing. That too. Yeah, yeah. I really liked her relationship with Rio. Yeah. Uh, because it's like, we're friends, but not really. And also, like, we have this relationship where we really trust each other and know each other that well. But so there's that thing that Rio keeps saying throughout the book that we're not friends. And I I feel like that's important. You think, like, he's her handler or something? I mean, later on, well, if we want to jump into, like, wild mass guessing about <laughs> the the backstory and like this, this is i haven't read the second book so i don't know if they go into this but it feels like so there are a couple clues in the book where you kind of you see connections between Cass and donna right mm -hmm. in terms of when checkers the hacker mentions that yeah donna was 
originally Miss Psyche, Psyche, Cycle. I forgot her name. Sayo. Sayo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she was kidnapped at a young age and trained, or like brought in at a young age and trained to develop her skills that she already had, and that affected Cass some in a in a way that's like it's very subtle, but you can tell that she was like bothered by that, and the fact that Donna figures out who Cass really is leads me to believe that they're connected in like they're connected somehow in that way. So there's there's that one chapter where they're doing like battle in the mindscape kind of like um, I know you don't watch Marvel stuff but um, I mean I've watched like my fair share <laughs> have you seen Legion no I haven't they do this on Legion where they go into like the astral plane and they like they do battle mentally right um, it kind of felt like that where they, they're on like this other like this like this level of I guess it's like inception then right where yeah, yeah, they're in so. the subconscious where time moves differently and more slowly and she's starting to get glimpses of her past. And so my theory is she also has mind powers. And that real is someone who she put under her like control. Maybe. Right. Yeah. And that's why they have this bond. And that's why we keep saying, I'm not your friend. Because maybe he really isn't. Oh, good guess. Good guess. Kind of reminds me of Harry Potter, actually, with the occlumency, like where you learn mind battle skills. Like there are people who can read minds and kind of influence people, and then yeah. you have people you have the skill of blocking things. <laughs> so I thought that was like really interesting when like Cass is like, "Don't remember, do not try to remember yeah. under any circumstances," and she has uh, mental defenses, like going through equations and stuff when she's talking to Donna, just. In- just in case um, she doesn't know about her mathematics skills. Right. And, you know, Donna doesn't know about her mathematics skills until the very end where she's kind of like putting a sledgehammer into her mental state. <laughs> what did you think about the relationship? with What did you, what did you think about um, Rio? Because like as an Asian-American focused podcast, mm-hmm. Rio is our representation <laughs> on, the, on the screen, right? <laughs> He was pretty, like, I, I love that she kept mentioning that he wore a really cool duster. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Fashion is key. I didn't even know that, like, Rio was our Asian represent- representation. They mentioned it a couple times that he's Asian. Oh, it must yeah. have, like, just flew past my head. It was in the first chapter, I think. See, that's the thing about, like, the descriptions on the diverse characters. It's mm. so subtle. And like, I think she literally says Asian. Yeah, but <laughs> like, Japanese. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, same thing with like Checker. Like, Checker is in a wheelchair, mm-hmm. and I don't think I like caught that until like maybe like mm. much much later on when they're trying to uh, get him to a working computer right. after after everything is shut down in in California and Arizona. Yeah, um, I mean, I think that's yeah. They didn't really they didn't call out explicitly that he was in a wheelchair till. Later, I think, right? They kind of alluded to it in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. In the same way, like, you don't, you're not told that Arthur Tresting is black until, like, a couple chapters into knowing him, too. Yeah. I feel like, right? Yeah. Um, same thing with um, Cass. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, she does say, like, oh, a lot of people think that I'm, like... Middle Eastern. Middle Eastern or Latinx. And uh, when she is arrested after that grocery store stunt that she, that she did, uh, the... 
police mention. Was it the police? I don't know. Someone mentioned that like a Pakistani girl mm. got beat up because they thought it was her. Yeah. So it's like, oh, it's very, very subtle. And I, I do really prefer that because it doesn't feel like tokenizing. Yeah. But I wonder in your mind's eye how you casted them before you realized or before you were told what they who they were. Because I feel like I don't know if this was the author's intent or just like the author just writing them as Mm -hmm. real people and it's on us to like to not assume um like yeah i'm I'm sure that there are a lot of readers who assume that they were white Mm. and then they had a rude awakening (laughs) in the middle of, of reading it and it's kind of like like you know the author reprimanding them being like uh yeah like white people aren't default characters right i mean I don't, yeah. Do you think it was the author trying to, like, do you think that was the intent was to, like, give a middle finger to those people? Or? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I think, uh, like, I feel like that's way too much work. Right. <laughs> but um, I did get it's... the sense that Arthur was black, like, pretty early on. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure why. Maybe it was the way he spoke. It seemed a little bit more urban. Mm. And also, like, when they go to his office, they describe the neighborhood to be pretty sketchy. Right. And I'm like, oh, if this was a white PI, he's probably doing more like, like, I don't know, like, my husband is cheating on me, so take a photo. So that would be in a more, like, middle class um, neighborhood. And I I, I guess it's because we read IQ (laughs) that my mind just jumped there. Okay. I mean, I I think... He did mention that that's what he normally does is mm-hmm. surveillance and and following people around. And I think waiting. that's just a PI yeah. bread and butter. <laughs> I don't know. Like for some, like I would have to comb through the book again, and I'm yeah. not sure if I will do that. But <laughs> but I did. I mean, it, think that he was black early on. Hmm. See, I I didn't realize it. Maybe that's on me for like, or just the way that the world has trained me. But I thought like hardball detective. I thought like you know that kind of like noir. Yeah, you know, you don't really think about your own biases until they're like exposed to you, shoved in your face yeah. like that. I'm like, oh shit, he's whack. I'm an asshole, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do like that their race wasn't a character trait, right? Which is something that a lot of like less skilled authors would do. It's like, oh, their character is black guy, right? Yeah. Whereas here, like Arthur was hard boiled detective first. Um, one issue that I did have with the book was pacing. Um, it just felt like so much was happening. Like mm. they're like running from one organ one organization, and then you have like an explosion, and then you're they're in hiding again, and they're they're going back to, uh, back to do some snoop work. And, yeah. Like at some point, like maybe like th- like two hundred pages in, I'm like, so many things are happening. And I keep feeling that this is the end of the second act, mm. but I know that there's so many pages left. So I'm <laughs> like, what other discoveries, what other incidents can happen to escalate the plot? See, I feel like, I guess that's where my experience in watching spy thrillers came in handy because to me, the pacing felt good. 
Okay, like so it it's was, like standard pacing for a spy thriller. Yeah, because you're you're not like I said in the beginning, it's not a detective story. You're not unraveling a mystery. You are. It's basically like it's the original Mission Impossible, where it's I also haven't seen the original <laughs> Mission Impossible. <laughs> Um, the movie, not the TV series, where it's like multiple organizations with their own agendas coalescing in one point and seeing who comes out on top. And you're kind of thrown in the middle of that where you are constantly reacting to things happening, people executing on their agendas, hmm. right? And see, this is where I'm not a film major. I'm not like a writing major. Like I don't, I, I don't have the language to talk about narrative structure and tropes and all that Mm -hmm. um which maybe we should have some writers on to talk about that with yeah but the pace at which things happen and and, and unfurl does track with like this type of story where you're just constantly like the point isn't to uncover the mystery the point is to like unfubar this situation but like i feel i feel like when uh pithka they you know pretty much shut down uh Los Angeles, and I guess the entire state of California, to, mm. be, to be honest. I thought that should have come, like, way, way sooner. <laughs> and uh, Well, it wouldn't fit with their MO, because they're they're not trying to disrupt the status quo. Yeah, yeah they they're... aren't, but that's, yeah. what, that's what I thought in terms of pacing. Like, they should mm. have figured out how to take down Pithika with their finances, like, much oh. earlier, in my opinion. I, I, I feel like the book could have been tightened to like well, 300 pages instead of 352 <laughs> pages <laughs> well i feel like they so narratively they didn't have the tools to until they realized that they had the arthur had drive. picked up the flash drive right so maybe that might have come earlier but again that wouldn't have come unless Cass and arthur built this relationship with each other Right, because at the beginning they weren't on the same team they're reluctant allies maybe mm-hmm. but they weren't like they weren't working together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could, I, I understand like the build up to it. I just, I just felt like it should have been tightened a little bit more. And also, like at some point, I like, like towards the end of the second act, I kind of got sick of Arthur being really untrustworthy because <laughs> it was just like, okay, like I get it, you've been brainwashed, and and like this has happened like four times already, where he's kind of like thwarted their yeah, a, a kind of compromised their mission, and I was like, okay, well, it's good that Huang um made that part of. The plan at the very end where it's like, okay, we're counting on him to call Donna because mm-hmm. that's part of our plan now. But um, I, I just I just don't know. I kind of kind of got tired of it. And I feel like that could have been shortened much more. Hmm. I felt like it was like because f- from that point in the story on after they get captured, everything is suspect. And I thought that was really well done where you're at this point where nothing he says nothing Cass says to herself can be trusted, really. And I thought that I thought that was a good tension during that part. Mm-hmm. Personally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't disagree with the tension. Mm. Just pacing. I don't know. Like I don't know how else to describe it other than like <laughs> it, it like the prose should have like been tightened a little bit more. Mm. So you don't have to go through so many pages to get to the next uh I guess like next major beat. Mm. But that, like, that depends on personal preference. Um, I mean, Marvin, you're like a, you're more of like a, 
like a a casual fa- like a fa- <laughs> no you're more of like a fantasy person like mm. uh, like a fantasy or like um i think I, they call it genre yeah, yeah well well like with fantasy novels like you have to go through so many pages because there's so much world building and so oh, many yeah. characters and um and then like for me i prefer something that is like much more uh like much more tighter in terms of like page numbers Mm. um i don't know if that's because i went to film school and like (laughs) screenplays are like you have such a short window to tell so much information maybe and maybe if this was a movie they would tighten it up right oh yeah yeah. definitely when i was reading the book i i thought like wow the writing is so cinematic Mm. and it would make a great movie but a lot of the prose it can be told within (laughs) like a glance or with um just like really short dialogue or special effects. But in in a book, you have to write all of that down and kind of explain <laughs> it. So um, so yeah, but it would make a really good movie. And I'm kind of being hypocritical because I have read a lot of Dan Brown novels. <laughs> and they're also like kind of in the same genre umbrella of like spy thrillers mm-hmm. or like just like conspiracy thrillers. Right. And it's like so many pages, like 500, 600 pages. And there's like a lot of things going on, a lot of like red herrings and organizations that seem bad, but also like they they are on the same side right. technically. But like even with the even with those books, I'm like, okay, like Let's get it. Come on. Like let's <laughs> let's get to the next beat. There's so much like filler in between and I don't know. But like I guess I guess but, but then if you <laughs> if but then if you watch the movies, it's much tighter. Mm. Also has Tom Hanks, so you know, it's imminently more watchable too Man, just like, by the ver- I the, feel like the that's mere... a miscast. Really? Honestly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, people didn't think Matt Damon could play Super Spy, and he pulled it off pretty well. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. In your um, your 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 brain cast for this movie, mm-hmm. who would play Rio? Who would play Rio? Oh man, I don't know. Like, who is like who is the buff? Like, cause is he's, it, is it he's, buff? he's a he's a big guy, right? Isn't is he, he a big guy? Is he a big guy? I don't remember now. I don't know. He's imposing, right? He's like. I think I think it doesn't matter like the body type, but mm. like the actor would have to give off that give off that psychopath vibe, mm. where it's like he can just be standing still and it it would be like terrifying. Right. So I'm trying to think of actors who could pull that off because it's a lot of subtle acting. I mean, Stephen Yun has been known to play charming, creepy guys, but I don't think that's the character. No. It's not charming, creepy. No, he's like menacing, scary. Yeah, menacing, scary. Right. Hmm. Well, if you think of somebody, please... Um, Have we had that character? I guess Rick Yoon from his James Bond work? Uh, I don't know. Is he too pretty? He's yeah, probably too pretty. He's probably too handsome. <laughs> I mean, that's a good compliment to give somebody, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, if you have any ideas about about who could play Rio, please let us know in the Goodreads forums or tweet us because <laughs> our my brain is just like it's what about, gone. What about Arthur? Who, who, would, who would be a good Arthur? Who's like a good like, like I'm too old for this shit, like Murtaugh but not Donnie, Danny Glover type of person? 
Samuel Jackson. <laughs> He's too bombastic, though, That's isn't true. he? That's true. Yeah. That's true. Oh, my God. Look, who... did play L, right? Or not L? Did he play L? Look, Keith Stanfield in the movie. I, I, you probably didn't watch it because it was terrible. It. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Anyways. Shoot. No, the name is escaping me. Hold on, hold on. I, um, I'm i going to look. Idris Elba? Oh. He would be pretty good, right? He'd be pretty good. Yeah. He's a that. very versatile actor, and yeah, he, he'd be great. He'd be a solid actor. Yes. yes. <laughs> we we got one person in. Who would be a checker? Who would be a good checker? Oh, uh, I don't know. Tom Holland. I feel like we need to get someone who is actually disabled. Which, yeah, which I, would be again, nice. Which, which would lead to which would mean we'd have to get someone probably unknown, That's right? True. Because there's not. I don't know if there are many, at least not prominent actors in the industry who are actually disabled. A lot of people playing disabled, but not. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, I really liked Chucker. And yeah. I really liked how he was introduced and how he kind of like added more punch i think like i don't know like because he added like more humor to it i felt uh grateful for his existence yes i mean but i feel like that is an archetype in a lot of in a lot of like media you have a hacker who has a lot of personality yeah yeah um but i guess are you interested in reading the second book Mm, i don't know because i kind of feel like i'm in it in a way where like i'll eventually probably crack it open or at least get the audiobook to listen to it on my drive because mm-hmm. i'm interested in what's happening yeah and i did read the description for the second book and it sounds like they're dealing with the fallout of them taking down pithika uh because yes yeah, um the final like moral quandary of this book is you have this organization that is obviously doing some heinous shit but also keeping the world relatively peaceful and making it a better place. And by taking them down, you are essentially unleashing or unshackling a lot of bad people and bad actors, right? So, like, again, this um, this tension between order and chaos, which mm-hmm. is preferable, which is right. Which one is more right? Well, what about you? What side do you stand on? I mean, I'm always going to be on the side of free will. Yeah, um, same here. <laughs> Just because, I don't know, and we we don't have time to go in, into this because we're already pretty deep into the episode, but Donna Polk's power to like kind of not just convince you of her righteousness, but to fundamentally change your own like moral center. That's like, that's, um, it's violence. It's mental violence, right? It's, you're it's doing, abuse. Yeah. It's how, that's what gaslighting is. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I am of the side where, you know, people need free will and that if you think that everyone should think in the same way as you and actually put in the effort to like brainwash people or to like make them do your dirty work, Mm -hmm. that mindset of like, I'm always right. And people should just fall under my ruling. It is a very egotistical way of thinking. And a lot of terrible things have happened in world history with that (laughs) mindset. So I'm always on the side of, you know, like, of free will. And you you are not God. So therefore, you should not play as God. And I think in terms of, like, worldview, I err more on Arthur's side rather than Cassis, where Cassis is all about, like, self-preservation. Do what you must to protect yourself and mm-hmm. yours. Whereas 
Arthur has this sense of like responsibility for yeah, other people and, and consequence like he knows consequences and the belief that people are fundamentally good or has the possibility right. yeah of the potential being for good. being good yeah and i think I don't, I don't know if this is where the story is leading but this is where like a lot of media like that talk about this type of thing is asking is is it worth it to put stock to put trust in the fact that humanity will tend to do the right thing eventually eventually that is the key word eventually um this this is like completely not completely random but um every single time Cass like stole a car or a motorcycle (laughs) um my my gut instinct was just like you are a terrible person. She, she is the protect the player character in a Grand Theft Auto <laughs> book, like like video game. Like honestly, like yeah, she she has bullet time essentially, <laughs> and she's able to like murder a bunch of people, and she's good at stealing cars. <laughs> I mean, like it's it's said in L.A. and I'm like, if you steal someone's vehicle, you know, <laughs> like you're pretty much like. They yeah. pretty much can't go anywhere. So, it, like, as like well, an LA person, ah, ah, that's why she stole a motorcycle. <laughs> you've you've been there. You've sat in rush hour gridlock traffic, and the motorcycle just zooms because motorcycles are allowed to split lanes. They just zoom right past you, and you're like, "Damn it!" No, I I don't say "damn it." Do you know why? Because those are death machines. <laughs> <laughs> like, I will never get a motorcycle. And any friends that do have motorcycles, I like so much anxiety. Like rises up because I'm like you. You could easily get killed or maimed or something. What about a moped? No, not as fast. No, <laughs> I'm I'm scared of bicycles. Okay, like I'm scared of those like motorized scooters that are everywhere in downtown LA. Like I hate them so much because one, this is this is your PSA in terms of those stupid bird scooters. Um, yeah, like. Two of my friends have used uh, those scooters, and they have both gotten into serious accidents. One of them fractured his back, and the other one broke his arm and leg. So I am of the belief of you need to be in a vehicle where there is a seatbelt. And if you're thinking about getting a motorcycle, please wear a helmet that fits your size. Because... <laughs> Cass is like, I don't want to wear a helmet, or this helmet is too big, and screw the California law of of wearing a helmet. And mm. I'm like, this is this this is not lining up with my. You and Cass would not be friends. No, we you wouldn't would be constantly ex- exasperated. She was stre- she stressed you out, I bet. Huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when Arthur was like, I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that, and he's like, you should like, really follow the law. I got you. You and Arthur are on the same wavelength. Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I guess that'll do it for a discussion of Zero Sum Game by S.L. Huang. Um, the second book, um, Noel said, is out now if you're interested in continuing the adventures of Cass Russell. And if you have anything to add or to bring up about the discussion that we've had on Zero Sum Game, please let us know again on our Goodreads forums. We do have a thread going um, that's very lonely right now. So Yeah, we, it is, it is very lonely right now. <laughs> I know a lot of people tend to read the books after we talk <laughs> about it. I I don't know, like... 
I don't know if we become like the spark notes of Asian and Asian American literature where people listen to us first and they're like, okay, I got the gist of the I mean, plot. if that's the case, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> that is. <laughs> I also know that a lot of people tend to listen to our uh, book news episode more. That's true. But, um, you know, if you're listening to our discussion episodes, please let us know on yeah. the Goodreads forums. Let us know if we're doing this right. <laughs> yeah, let us. I mean, we, we do want to um change things up a little yeah. from time to time so it would be nice yeah. to get your suggestions um but for the for the month of august our book club pick is severance by ling ma and it's kind of like a satirical post-apocalyptic novel okay it's like uh it takes place in silicon valley i think it's silicon valley um and you know a zombie apocalypse kind of happened okay. or kind of like a plague has kind of wiped out a lot of humanity is this our first post-apocalyptic story oh my goodness i i don't know i feel like um how to survive in the, in the science fiction universe was kind of post-apocalyptic but not really because there's a society really. that's, that's true like, it's more future dystopia yeah right well um in severance it kind of focuses on a chinese american woman who is kind of like by her lonesome okay. during this uh during this like post-apocalyptic uh era so <laughs> it will be fun it will be fun for us to read it's a little bit different we try yeah. to read different stories and try to um try tr- try to like switch things up a bit um well, this book is shorter than the other books that we have read so it should be a breeze that's good because i am also currently making my way through jade war Oh by yeah. Fonda Lee. Um so oh if you guys wanna chat about that book, um I'll start a thread and we can Are you gonna start a thread about, about uh Dragon Republic as well? Because that's should. coming out this month. Um that book is real good. Have you have you finished the Poppy War yet? No, I haven't. Mm. Yeah. I have a lot of books on my Kindle yeah. by Asian and Asian American authors no. and it's like <laughs> if it's if it's two dollars, I tend to buy it and mm. it just stays in my Kindle until we decide to read it. The second book is a lot less dark, but a lot more focused than the first book. In terms of that content. Make, that would make sense. Like, the themes are still pretty intense, but there's a lot less um, the stuff that will make you queasy. Hmm. hmm. But yeah, Rira, thanks so much for discussing this book. We got a lot of mileage out of this This one. I, I enjoyed our conversation. <laughs> we've we've learned more about each other's moral <laughs> codes. And I'm sure our listeners have learned more about us as people. <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about that, but hey. And yeah, thanks to everyone for listening in. Um, a couple quick shout outs before we take off. Uh, thanks to the Potluck Podcast Collective, um, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts that we're a part of. Um, you can learn more about our fellow Potluck Podcast by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And uh, thanks also to Visual Communications, um, our podcast was recorded at the VC offices in Little Tokyo at the Potluck Podcast Studio. They're an amazing arts and media organization um, behind the annual LA Asia Pacific Film Festival and you can learn more about them by going to their website at vcmedia.org and yeah Rira thanks for joining me again and um I guess we'll see you next time yeah next time (laughs) alright bye bye everyone Mm, but we're still here 
we're going strong. It's an exciting time in Asian America. There are more movies, TV shows, books, and music reflecting us than ever. But all of these represent just a small slice of Asian American culture and experiences. So what do we do? Tell more slices. Asian Americana is a show that explores these slices of distinctly Asian American culture and history. We've talked about how Chinese Americans built California's Sacramento Delta, the art scene turns gallery institution giant robot, a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Boba, just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast app.